Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and the insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you could identify your unique calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. This episode is a very special conversation with Joel Sam, a multi-passionate creative who also happens to love engineering and science. He's gotten creative with carving out a unique path within engineering, studying mechanical engineering for his undergrad, materials science for his master's to satisfy his fascination with the science realm. And now he has a career at the intersection of both of these worlds, working in research and development engineering, turning ideas into a Inventions. I think everyone can grow from listening to Joel's fascinating perspective on how to find a career specialty within STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, or math, that's a great fit for your unique personality and set of interests. No matter if you're methodical and love consistency or creative and idea generating and a people person, there is a place for you. There's just so much that we covered in this episode. It was so, so helpful. We even touched on the power of networking and how to do it in a way that will greatly enhance and shape your career, as well as what opportunities might exist if you go ahead and go for a smaller to mid-sized firm and how that experience can be different than working for larger companies, kind of regardless of field. So. So much interesting stuff to cover in this episode. You just have to give it a listen. And I know you'll love it no matter if you're interested in STEM or even something totally different, or if you're well into your career or just now wrapping up high school, I really believe this conversation spoke to the heart of getting creative with your career decisions to lead to a fulfilling role that you're excited and equipped to fulfill. And that is a message I believe applies to all situations. One quick thing before we dive in, no matter if you're a new or a longtime listener around here, would you mind just simply tapping on the stars on Apple Podcasts to rate the show? It's only one little click, seriously just one, but it actually helps a lot. It's a super quick win for you if you're a listener who wants to support this show in a tiny but mighty way. Your help means a lot to me. Okay, now let's dive into this conversation with Joel Sam. Joel, this is such a fun and unique opportunity because I've gotten to know you. You're a, as people will see when I ask you about your side hustles, you're a pretty multi-passionate person, like maybe to the core. Yeah. (laughs) And you have applied that to the field of engineering and research development and STEM. And so it's so cool. Even before we started recording, we're like, wait, how do we even talk about all the things you've done with this so far. So I'm really excited to learn about what someone who's maybe multi-passionate like you can do if they feel leaning towards the STEM route. That being science. Wait, you should say it. You say what STEM is. STEM (laughs) is science, technology, engineering, and math. 
lots of things. So excited to dig into what your career path has been so far, where you want to go, and advice you have for people who are interested in following in your footsteps. So welcome. Yeah, well, Kelsey, I'm so glad to be here. I've been a listener for a while now, and I'm glad I've been able to interface with you as well. So to give some background on what I do, my current title is Mechanical Engineering Specialist at a research and development company called Lintech Inc. We are a small business. What we do is we take these ideas that the government has on new technology that they may want, and we really try to make it real. Like we try to actualize these kind of conceptual scientific ideas. So someone has a crazy harebrained idea, and then we try to like make it reality which is really interesting because we're such a small company, we can do such a wide variety of things. And so my career has really been on the interface of science and engineering. If I could define science really broadly as trying to answer the how things work. So how does this thing in nature work? And engineering is how can we do something useful with what we learn from science? And so those are two big, broad umbrella definitions of science and engineering. And I think those are useful because when you work at that interface, your priorities have to be learning about science and then, but also getting your head out of the clouds and keeping your boots on the ground and saying, how can we make this reality? I love how you naturally speak in terms of uh, Venn diagrams, which is your podcast, The Venn yeah. Podcast, which everyone should check out. It's so, so neat how you explore consistently the intersectionality between anything. I mean, just give like two examples of episodes that brought together two pretty crazy topics. Sure, sure. We're, well, of course, we had you on to talk about the intersection of calling and career, which was, that was so fun. Cool. such a great conversation. <laughs> I actually just listened to it again the other day just to, just oh. to kind of get thinking about this. But one thing was cool, baking and feminism. We talked about mm -hmm. how baking can be a tool for empowering women. And another interesting one was talking about introversion and public speaking. And so <gasps> my co-host, Ted Tyler, he's a really strong introvert, but he's a really good communicator and he does a lot of public speaking. And so he, even though he strongly prefers to be by himself reading books, the vast majority of the time, he's like learned how to be an effective communicator, which I as so an extrovert cool. am kind of jealous of because I love talking. And yet sometimes <laughs> I feel like, oh, I really haven't honed these communication skills as much oh as my I gosh. That is so funny. I just want to do this all day. Wait, how do you do it? Why do, are you the master of this? You don't even want to be around people. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh man, I love your podcast. Um, so speaking of how this, <laughs> I guess this is your own then podcast, except just published to answer the call. Yeah, basically. <laughs> how science interfaces with uh, I almost said technology. <laughs> Engineering. There we go. There we go. Mm -hmm. I mean, really could be any of this stuff. It feels like you do so much. So take a, whoa, whoa. Actually, before I start asking the big questions, yeah. I really want to ask you about what a big career dream of yours is. Okay. Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot and because I'm so multi-passionate, it changes like every day. <laughs> every but day. this week, I think I've actually gotten some clarity, which is really awesome. I don't like to set really concrete goals because I like mm -hmm. to be flexible and I like to kind of let life take me where it does, which is why I ended up with two engineering degrees. And I'm like, huh, I guess that just kind of happened. Um, <laughs> but I really, am. I think the, the dream would be to be a teaching professor mm. 
And what I would be teaching, I'd like to teach like a mixture of science, engineering, innovation, and ethics, which I know are so many very different things. And maybe I wouldn't be able to do all of those, but I was an engineering ethics TA at Texas A&M for two semesters. And so I was, I really enjoyed communicating with engineers, the value of philosophy and communicating really like how to get people to think differently from the way they normally think. That's like one of my passions. And so if I could teach in some capacity, really any of those topics, but ideally all of them, uh, that would be the dream. <laughs> just pitch it to A&M like it's going to be one thing, but just sneak in a new passion every single day, I think. <laughs> well, I, I bet know, you could you do know, it. Anthem is pretty cool in that when I was at A&M, I actually knew a couple professors who did this kind of thing. So professors who'd been in industry for a long time, who became professors of practice and were able to teach about innovation. And so they would host these kind of engineering entrepreneurship challenges, these sorts of things. Unfortunately, I wasn't as involved in that because I didn't think of myself as a very businessy person. Mm -hmm. But now looking back, I really wish I had because I think for me, I really like the people side of business, but I don't like the competitive side of business. Mm, yeah, and so I that's kind of why I shied away from it. But I think I, I could have challenged myself to, to do that. So cool. So interesting. But I, I think you'd be the best professor. I hope that <laughs> happened. So, I mean, we kind of already mentioned A&M, but go ahead and say, what did you study and when did you graduate? Yeah, so I did my bachelor's in mechanical engineering, class mm -hmm. of 2016, whoop, Same. and did my master's in material science, class of 2018. And so the reason I went to grad school, one of the big reasons was because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Mechanical engineering is so broad. And so that's something I'll probably talk about later. And so material science was something that overlapped with mechanical engineering, but I really wanted to get more into the sciencey side of things. So that was a good bridge. And then grad school is where I really felt like my career was starting to click. That's where I started getting internships. And that's where I started being part of a professional organization and networking a lot more. And so I think that's when it really started clicking for me. And where did that lead? What post-grad jobs have you held up until this point? Mm -hmm. So actually, I'm still in my first post-grad job. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my current position at Lintec, where I do applied engineering research. And so mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoy that. I have been doing it for a year and a half. We're a smallish company, about 100 people, 30 engineers, 50 scientists, and 20 business admin people. And so it's really interesting because it's an environment that has a lot of cross-pollination. Our three core values are innovation, collaboration, and communication. And so most of the people I work with are hardcore introverts. And so it's really... They really have to like push themselves to collaborate as much as we want to. But for me, that part comes naturally. It's the sometimes doing a lot of reading or doing a lot of technical math work that kind of bogs me down. So how did you come to this point where you realized, I heard you explain the connection from how you got to material science, bringing in more of the science aspect into your repertoire, but how did you get to the point where you thought, oh, I really want to be in research and development? Yeah, that mainly stems from my sort of indecisive, multi-passionate nature. <laughs> I chose engineering primarily because it was practical. 
And so I had always heard of engineering in high school as something that had a lot of job security, something that had a lot of stability. Just, I was really sold the idea of the nine to five, you know, consistent salary, Mm -hmm. prestigious office job that was really sold to me. And I think I, I held on to that pretty early in my education and I knew that I was good at math and science. And so it just seemed like a natural fit. I think personality wise, I like a sense of stability. And so now that I've done engineering for a long time and I've realized, you know, stability is great, but I also feel like I'm missing out on a certain element of creativity mm-hmm. and spontaneity. And so the science world actually has a little bit more creativity and spontaneity than the engineering world. So I, I didn't learn this until very recently, but I've started kind of understanding the personalities that work best in science and engineering. And engineering has a lot of, if your personality is very kind of stable, kind of um, you like fine details, you like really practical solutions. Whereas science is great if you're really creative, if you like innovation, if you're not afraid of failure, because science yeah, is a lot that's of a requirement. You just have to kind of do experiment after experiment, banging your head against the wall, trying to figure out what, like why you can't figure out this aspect of nature. I kind of have a little bit of both of those. And so over my career, I've been able to find opportunities to work at that interface which is really exciting for me because I'm able to kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. I love how you already went into what type of personalities or desires might be a fit for both the engineering world and the science world. <laughs> From all that I know about the science world, oh my gosh, I it must take an incredible amount of endurance to just continue to plunge into kind of darkness, unexplored territory. You're trying to find answers where there are none, where I've, of course, never done anything of the sort with engineering, but it seems like it's more winnable, you know, like there's a Mm -hmm. process, there's, you could complete something and it might not require as much exploration or failure. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, yeah. So another thing to think about is that um, when we when we think about science, it's the process of discovery. It's not mm-hmm. actually like this library of things that have already been discovered. What science is, is a process of understanding what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so what that involves, sometimes I think about, when I think about bull and jobs and that kind of fit, I try to rank things, people, and ideas. And mm-hmm. so if your ranking of those three things in terms of your comfortability if it is things, ideas, people, you're probably a good fit for an engineer. If it's ideas, things, people, then you're probably a good fit for a scientist. Now for me, I'm people, things, ideas. So you're still trying to sort it out. (laughs) Like maybe a professor. (laughs) Yeah, that is something I want to tailor more over the course of my career. But if you like to have more ideas, you can maybe shift towards the sciencey side of things. And if you, if you really like to build, if you'd like the satisfaction of a finished product, if you like finishing mm-hmm. things, then mm-hmm. engineering may be a good fit for you. And so those are very broad categories, but um, it's something I've thought a lot about as I'm trying to hone my career. This is just causing me to imagine all 
the options that you could spread out from, like starting in mechanical engineering. I'm just curious from your friends, your network, what are some of the more unique options you've seen people go into where they're still using their background in engineering, but it's not like they held the title of mechanical engineer in student realm and then mechanical engineer in professional realm, you know, mm-hmm. not so clear cut. Yeah. So one of, one of the biggest misconceptions that I had going into college was that your major corresponds to your job title. Yeah. Um, I totally thought that, that those were like a one-to-one correlation and it wasn't until even grad school that I really realized, huh, that's not really true at all. It's kind of true in engineering, which is why I held on to that false idea for so long. But mechanical engineering specifically is probably the most broad field of engineering. And so when we talk about mechanical engineering, that includes stuff like uh, material science, which is what I do, but Mm -hmm. it also includes robotics. It involves heating and air conditioning systems. It involves really anything that involves taking certain scientific principles and building something that moves. Usually everything that's mechanical moves in one way or another. So when we think about certain disciplines like aerospace engineering and biomedical engineering, those are actually just very specialized versions of mechanical engineering. So mechanical engineers can work in virtually any industry. Whereas if you're an aerospace engineer, you kind of only end up in the aerospace world. And if you're a biomedical engineer, you kind of only end up in the biomedical world. So if you like flexibility, like I do, mechanical engineering may be for you. The flip side of that is that there's so many options. You can often end up in analysis paralysis, trying to find like, what's the perfect perfect option for me? And so I know mechanical engineers who have worked in oil and gas. I know some who've, um, I mentioned biomedical and aerospace, and then I work in kind of R&D, general technology development that spans all of these categories. Some, some of the more creative ones, I, I think I've met a lot of people who are engineers who realize, you know what, this technical stuff is kind of dry. It's not really for me. I want to do something more high level or I want to do something where there's a little bit less math and science or something more people oriented. And so what they'll do is maybe something like risk engineering. Risk engineering is very much saying, okay, we have all these processes going on. Where are the flaws how can we fix them efficiently? How much is this costing us? Or you could be in manufacturing engineering where you're working at a large scale production and you're asking, how can we make these things more efficiently? How can we make them more custom effective? How can we make them at a higher quality with less failure? So if those questions interest you, then manufacturing engineering is a field or a job title that may be good. There's systems engineering, systems engineering, is where you take, and that's kind of a nebulous title. It's applied to a lot of different things, but in the context of mechanical engineering, systems engineering is looking at all the elements of what makes technology and how do we put all these pieces together. So that overlaps. A lot of industrial engineers become systems engineers. So that's another option. And systems engineering also talks about how can we create documents and design strategies to make things more effectively. And then there's also project management, which is very much people oriented, but it's also documentation oriented. So I like the people side of that. I don't like the paperwork or just like reading contracts. I'm not a contracts person. And so 
You know what's so funny is every time I hear something along the lines of like, oh yeah, so much paperwork, I'm like, who wants to do that? And then lo and behold, God like brings someone along in front of my path that same week who's like, all I love is administrative tasks and paperwork. I'm like, God really does fill every need. I can't relate to that at all, but yeah, bless yeah. you. I know, right? <laughs> I'm so glad we have a project management team at work to take care of all our contracting. I'm in the middle of a contracting negotiation right now for a project that I should be in charge of, hopefully. And Congrats. Yeah. I'm just, I'm submitting the technical side of my paperwork and I'm just like typing it up and I'm like, yeah, you guys can like dot all the I's and cross the T's. <laughs> that, oh, gosh, I have to stop myself from saying that's so cool to everything mm-hmm. you say, because this is really, I just love, I guess, speaking of kind of uncharted territory and the science mindset of things, I just get so fascinated with people's career process, I guess, mm-hmm. how they end up where they end up and all the different options that you just don't know what you don't know. And right. I love how people like you start one place and effectively utilize its breadth and then choose a specialty that is quite satisfying to you. Although I trust that more and more you'll be satisfying that people side of things that um, is really scintillating mm-hmm. uh, to your brain. You know, this might seem kind of random, but speaking of the multi-passionate nature of how you work, I realized we didn't talk about all your side hustles, and I really want to make sure that gets airtime okay. before we go yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though my job title and the past eight years of my education slash career development have been in engineering and science, I like to kind of cap that in my life at 40 hours a week. And for the You're rest done. of the hours, I love uh, creative activities. And so kind of on the side, I do photography, videography, podcasting, like we've already mentioned. I actually host two podcasts. Oh yeah. man, I missed that one. What's that one? Uh, the other one's called The Moral Minority Show. It's where we discuss <gasps> politics, culture, and theology from a minority perspective. What? Mm-hmm. <gasps> uh, and I'm also Sorry. a drummer in a band called The Lonely Wheel. Sure. So okay. <laughs> I'm the kind of person where it's like, I love just doing so many different things and learning. And so something I'm really working on this year is like finishing projects before moving on to the next one. So yeah, that's, that's what I do outside of the sciencey side of my brain is a lot of creative work. And when it comes to creativity, I've realized that I am best at like technical implementation, but it helps for me to be working with people who are really ideas people. Mm. That's all your side hustles are just so amazing. I'm curious if you met many people like yourself in the engineering school or field now professionally. Yeah. Yeah, You know, that's a good question. I've definitely met some, like my, my bandmate, the lead singer of my band, he and I met in undergrad. We did mechanical engineering together. And then we also both started grad school. So I started a master's in material science and he started a PhD in mechanical engineering. And so he's the kind of guy where he's highly, highly creative. Like he, he thinks musically and he is a great songwriter and guitarist and vocalist. But then he also is a lot more focused than I am when it comes to science and engineering. So whereas I like to be kind of all over the place because I, I love, you know, building these dream teams to work on projects at work. He's more of like, he'll sit down and he will sit at a computer and develop this simulation that predicts 
you know, fluid flow. And so he's simultaneously more creative and more sciencey than me. Oh, um, man, I'm just really mad because I was kind of comforting myself with the lie that those people don't exist, but no, they do. Not. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> they show the higher standard for, I don't want to say that, but you know, I just, I maybe like you longingly look at people that are finishers. I'm like, well, oh, blast. I just, I also have a bunch of plates fitting and I'm like the ideas person and all that, but you know, I suppose God made us for a purpose and all that stuff. So, um, and I know some people who started in a technical field, realized they had creative passions and then switched over because they realized, oh, this is what I like really care about. Whereas for me, I know that if I want science and engineering to be a part of my life, it will probably have to be a job. Like I'm probably not going to tinker in my garage by myself. You mm-hmm. know, that's, that's not really something I like to do. And so if I want to keep science in my life, it probably has to be really part of my career. Whereas creative stuff, I am motivated to do that on my own. And so I can, I can do that on the side and be comfortable with it. That's, oh gosh, wow. That's just firing off so many questions in my brain. Hey friend, if you're listening to this episode right now because you're interested in finding the unique career path that you're called to, I wanted to let you know that I'm here to help you do just that in record time without the stress of analysis paralysis or the paralyzing fear of making the wrong decision. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp. I'm a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and then practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and meaningful career. My signature two-month private career coaching program includes seven weekly coaching sessions with me, access to my library of guides and workbooks, as well as unlimited support from me in between our sessions to help you nail down all the practicals like your networking messaging and strategy, your resume, your interview prep, and negotiations to make sure it's an offer you're excited about. I'm going to help you save a load of time and stress and dead-end job applications in the process, I could tell you that. Just this morning, actually, I picked up a quick call from a client who wasn't getting responses to his requests for informational interviews. With a few strategic pivots in his messaging and outreach approach, he was well on his way to getting in front of the hiring manager for his dream job without having to feel stuck in it alone. Like, why is this happening to me? Why aren't people responding? Why can't I just get these jobs? I was there to help every step of the way. If you want me by your side as your personal career coach, walking you through every step to make a career pivot with simplicity and confidence, then I invite you to apply for the Deep Dive Private Career Coaching Program. To take the first step, go to my website, kelseykemp.com forward slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you set your career on a trajectory you're elated to pursue for years to come. I'll talk to you soon. Now back to the episode. Well, let me ask you kind of the one on the top of my mind, which is what did motivate you to commit to this technical field for your Mm -hmm. career when you naturally just on your own would want to be frolicking in more creative endeavors because people would typically associate a statement like you just made like you know uh 
I do it for my job. If I didn't otherwise, uh, it wouldn't be a part of my passion projects or anything. And I really just like my side hustles and that's where I have my creative outlets like that. People might relate statements like that to examples that they hear all the time. Like, oh, I, I'm just not that interested in my job. It's kind of draining. It's not my passion or something. And maybe I would want to make my creative side hustles more aligned with what I do nine to five. Yeah. So what makes you want to keep that in are your you, life? Are you asking me if I have Stockholm syndrome? Oh, <laughs> I guess. Do you? Yeah. No, I don't. And here's, here's why, right? So when it comes to science and engineering, you have to, it's really difficult for the average person to have access to that world. For yeah. example, if you want to read scientific papers, you have to like pay a gazillion dollars unless mm -hmm. you work for a university attend a university or work for a company that has a research and development wing mm -hmm. and so i get access to scientific literature so if i want to read like what's the real cutting edge by professionals that's basically you know that's an example of access um, mm -hmm. another example is like lab space lab tools you know machine shops these sorts of things like if you want to actually be hands-on doing science or engineering, you have to get a lot of tools. And yeah. you know, there's people who like to work on their cars or people who 3D print stuff in their garage and they love that and that's great. But if you want to do like a little bit of everything or if you want to just be involved with that world in a lot of angles, it can sometimes be difficult to do that on your own just because the nature of the beast. Although things like 3D printing have made that easier. So now mm -hmm. that anyone can buy a 3D printer, people have access to engineering in a way that they didn't 10 or 20 years ago. And so that's something that's changing. Maybe in some hypothetical universe, if I had a creative job and I wanted to do engineering on the side, maybe I could, mm -hmm. maybe that's more accessible now than it was 10 years ago. There's also another question, right? There's this idea that I've gone to school for this for six years. Mm -hmm. So I know this world in a way that Somebody who's just watching YouTube videos cannot understand. Definitely and not. So for me, I learned to podcast in a month. Like I just watched some YouTube videos and I, you know, bought a couple hundred dollars worth of equipment and I just did it. And it was honestly relatively easy. You can't do that with engineering. Like you just can't. You have to go to school for at least four years. Same thing with science. In the science world, grad school is something that's even more of a requirement almost when it comes to actually being able to do that as part of your life. And so there's always exceptions, you know, Leonardo da Vinci was a freaking genius. He invented a million things and he was just sitting by himself and he was doing all this creative stuff, you yeah. know, creating some of the greatest works of history. And so obviously there are people who can do a lot of technical things on their own while also being really creative, but it's, I would say it's harder that's one of the things about the STEM world is if you want to break in, you almost always have to have a formal education that's mm. at least four to six to 10 years. Yeah. Interesting question. Have you met anyone who's tried to break into the STEM world as a career pivot, realizing that now they want to go into something more technical? Yes, I'm sure there's, I'm sure if I really thought about it, I could think of a few examples, but I know one really good example. So one of my coworkers, he got his undergrad in English. And so mm -hmm. he was an English major. 
out of college, he got a job as a technical writer, which is what a lot of English majors do if they end up with jobs (laughs) or they just do their own thing, which is honestly kind of better. English majors who work at companies often end up as technical writers, which is cool. Mm -hmm. It's not as creative, but it is, I'm very thankful for those people because they correct all of the terrible grammar and word choice mistakes that my science and engineering uh, companions (laughs) make all the time. And so he was a technical writer for a few years and he realized, you know what? I really like science. I'm going to get an engineering degree. And so he went to school, got a degree in mechanical engineering. And then bachelor's. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So he has two bachelor's degrees. And so he applied for a job at my company as a mechanical engineer, right? So he would have had the same job I have. When we were interviewing him, we realized, you know what? This guy really knows the English language really well. And he has a lot of ideas. He's very much an ideas person. What if we create a new position for him? And so his position, instead of being a mechanical engineer, his position is actually a research engineer. And so what he does is he is the big ideas guy. He will look at all of the things that the government wants, like all of their ideas, and he will brainstorm the heck out of all of them. He just has these huge brainstorming meetings where he and he's like, okay, I want you, 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 you in this room this time. And then they come up with a million ideas. And then he just like does a lot of the writing and a lot of the team building. And so my job, because my company is small, I have kind of made his job half of my job where I do a lot of proposal writing. I do a lot of that dream team building, but I still spend a good bit of time in the lab doing lab work or doing design work. So I'd say my job is 50-50 between like that research engineering type of thing and actual science or engineering. Wow. Both of you have such an interesting example of what it's like to get creative with your career and not just say, oh, I guess engineering has to look like this one thing. English has to look like this one thing. Nope. And that's so amazing. Even more to me that your company being small and embracing of the flexibility that could come with that really did embrace the opportunity to say, this is a highly competent individual that we see their unique value proposition to our teams. Why don't we not just hold on tight to this one job position and title that we are thinking of? Why don't we merge and make this leverage this person's gifts, which is amazing. And so that's just a testament to company culture. When you're looking for a company, I didn't mention this earlier, but when I was in grad school, I did an internship at Halliburton. So Halliburton's a huge Mm. oil and gas company. They are massive. And I was doing material science development for the drill bits that they use to drill for oil. And I liked it. I mean, it was eight months and I had a cool team and I enjoyed the work that I was doing and I was very well suited for it and competent Mm. at it. But looking back, I realized I only interfaced with my team basically, which was like six people. And I did very similar things all the time. Like my, my, the type of work that I did, it was very specific and very routine. And so that's something you'd often find in STEM at a big company is that you have a very specific job and generally a very focused team. In contrast, my current company, you know, we have like a hundred people and I knew everybody's name 
within like a month. Well, that's just because I'm social, but I actually worked with- But also because you're gifted at remembering names, that would be a physically impossible feat for me. I'm so full of admiration, Cole. Um, yeah, let me, yeah. So I, I, should, I should say I had worked with everybody by the time I finished my first year. One, okay. because my company gives me a lot of flexibility. So two months after I started, it was proposal season where we could write proposals to the government. And my boss was like, yeah, if you want to write a proposal, you can. Like, even though you just got here, go for it. And so I found a proposal that was about something that I knew about. I found a couple people to be on my dream team. I wrote it and it got funded. And so hopefully I'll be starting that project pretty soon. So that's just, you know, it's this idea that when you're looking for a company, if you like flexibility and if you like the ability to craft your own career path, definitely think about a smaller company. I really love the 100, 150 range in terms of people, like the medium size, where you can have the benefits of a lot of structure and a lot of like past groundwork. You don't have the hectic, crazy nature of a startup culture, which oh, I also experienced yeah. at an internship. Didn't like it. Um, <laughs> We're not here for it. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of the best of both worlds where I, over the course of a year and a half, I have crafted my job based on project availability to be really what I'm gifted at, which is about 50% engineering, 40% proposal writing, 10% science. So, you know, those are, those are kind of the three angles of my job. And I can go into more details onto like what those look like if you want. Yeah. Okay. Definitely put a bookmark in that. But also on a specific note, I'm curious about how you got connected with this company because just thinking back to my academic uh, job hunt experience uh, from college, it's very much about career fair. Like what companies have a booth there? But I can't remember really small companies being at least at the business career fair that I went to. So plus people just treasure like the big names and think, I don't know if this is the case with the people in your sphere, but in business, you know, you were talking about how it's really competitive. People are just like, oh, I have to go work for the man, you know, yeah. why can't it be the woman? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, but anyway, how did you get connected with this smaller company and any other smaller companies if you were really specifying your search to that realm? Yeah, great question. And so when I was in college, I went to these career fairs and everyone's flocking to these ginormous companies. And I'm like, I could, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm not super competitive. Like when people are really competitive, I'm like, all right, you do your thing. Like I'm going <laughs> to find something that's a little more chill. And so really my internship at Halliburton and my current job was just because I knew the right people. And so I am very much a networker and I knew that that was true in my social life, but I didn't really start applying that to my personal, to my career life until grad school. In grad school, I started really utilizing, there was an industrial advisory board that was connected to my major and uh, in material science. And because the major was kind of small, I was able to have relationships with all of those professors and just kind of if they had a job opening, they would email it out and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's something really interesting. As far as my current position goes, I actually knew four people that worked at this company uh, through all of my random connections. And I didn't put it together that they all worked at the same company until a month, until like I was actually looking for a job and I realized, you know what? Like this company does some really interesting stuff. I should probably like ask all these people what their experience is. And so I, t I texted them or asked them in person 
And I realized like, oh, this is a really good fit for me. And I've kind of been sleeping on this company because they're small and in College Station and not really like a big name, but really they do interesting work. And so the timing worked out and I needed a job when they needed a person and I'm still here and it's really cool. I'm really excited to be doing what I'm doing. Perfect. Oh my gosh. I love to hear people's job hunt stories of what actually clicked and what made a difference in the Mm -hmm. end, especially when it's kind of off the cookie cutter path of just, well, I stepped into a line at the career fair and I made my best pitch once I handed them my resume and it was a huge company and then there we go. And now I'm a really happy little cog in the machine. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. That sounded like shade. I'm sorry for anyone that that (laughs) threw shade to. That was just my personal feelings from my experience. But it sounds like to your experience, it's so helpful to have a real broad network where you're casting the net and you have your hands in a couple different spheres. I look back on my college experience and I could have never known actually just how helpful it was to be in XYZ club, all these different organizations, take a random elective and even study abroad. I thought that was just for fun. Nope. Mm-hmm. Those are new people that you get to know, and it really does help. And um, you never know how that could make a difference later. Yeah. And as a further testament to that, to kind of flip it around, now at my current job, a big part of my job when I'm writing proposals is oh, I need to find some professor at some university that actually knows what the heck they're doing so I can take their genius big brain science and actually make it into reality. And so now, three or four times, I've reached out to professors either that I took classes from in grad school or I've worked multiple times with a professor that goes to my church. And so we're able to write proposals together and get them funded and actually work together in a professional sense because I, in grad school, I actually started getting to know my professors, even though in undergrad, I was really intimidated by them and I didn't get to know any of them. And so I realized the value of that aside from the value during school is like, oh, even after school, you have these connections that you can use in your career to really be strategic partnerships and really be um, these symbiotic relationships where you can really get good work done. Oh gosh, this, I want this on the recording because I want to remember to do this. You just gave me this idea to do a podcast on how, what to actually say when you walk into your professor's office as an undergrad student to actually get to know them. Because I remember some professors being like, y'all, it's the first three weeks. If y'all don't come visit me and try to get to know me, it's probably not going to happen because things get really busy. Now's the best time. I would love to get to know you. Why don't you just come? And it wasn't until junior or senior year that I finally started doing that. And I thought, what have I been missing? This is amazing. And just like you're saying, that has real career implications. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I love this whole job hunt piece that we've gotten to cover for a bit. I'm curious from here on out, there's so many different questions that I could ask, but you're the one with a lot of experience. You're the one that has probably had people younger than you reach out and say, Joel, like I'm thinking about this, this, and this. I'm kind of interested in this aspect of what you've explored in your career. What advice would you have for me? And so what do you feel like is most valuable to explore for the rest of this conversation? Absolutely. So I think the best way to do that, I've talked a little bit about personality fits for science versus engineering versus other stuff. And not that those are tried and true, like there's obviously Mm -hmm. a lot of differences in personality, which actually make working together really effective. 
I would say if, if I would want to take the three aspects of my job and break them down, that can kind of help guide people who are looking to get into STEM in a general sense. Okay, is research or that field right for me? So like I said earlier, 40% of my job is proposal writing. So what that involves is kind of looking at what the government or the customer wants, brainstorming solutions for an idea, then kind of forming a dream team of people who are really skilled and effective at implementing that solution and then making a sales pitch. So if you like writing, if you like being a networker, if you like communication, then something like research engineering or proposal writing is probably right up your alley. Now, those jobs are pretty rare to, you know, a job for that. But like I said earlier, you can pivot a technical job to head in that direction. And as you get into management, um, as you, maybe if you work for a startup, those are opportunities to really leverage those communication skills when it comes to technical communication. Science is the process of designing experiments, making, making tests, doing those tests and taking measurements, and then rinse and repeat. It's a lot of failure. It's a lot of kind of bashing your head against the wall, but it's really deep learning into why something works and, and what, can we, what can we learn or discover. So it's very much for people with high tenacity and um, high creativity. Um, but also technical. Like, I don't want to just say like, oh, if you're a super artsy person, you should be a scientist. Like, <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> I'm, you know, within the scope of people who are already interested in science. Gotcha. Um, I mean, so what that entails, that's, you've got to really love learning. You've got to love learning. And so yeah. a lot of times, if you want to really make it as a scientist, you need to get a PhD, which will be a total of anywhere from obviously the four-year undergrad, but the PhD itself is probably anywhere from five to seven years. And mm -hmm. if you want to be a professor and like really be leading the charge in the real research, that's another one to two years of what's called a postdoc, postdoctorate program, which is basically grad school, but just full-time research. Um, and you may be teaching classes as well. And then you go through professorship, which is really competitive. And yeah, so I don't want to get too deep into that, but if that idea of deep learning and deep focus ideation is something that applies to you, then science is a good field. And you can get science jobs at every level. So I know people who work as lab technicians at the bachelor's level. I know people who work as kind of research assistants at the master's level. I know people who are research researchers at the PhD level. So at every level, you can get a job. It's just the nature of the job is different. So the less education you have, the more hands-on it is. And the more education you have, the more big idea focused it is. Wow. Okay. Dang. Wait, and do you so have something for, else on that point? Yeah. So for engineering, what that looks like is, okay, you already have the science, you already have the idea. And then you're like, how can we make this into reality? So what that involves mm -hmm. is kind of brainstorming concept generation, then making, maybe designing a 3D model, buying parts building little experimental contraptions, testing those systems, and then doing that over and over again until you have a prototype. And then you say, okay, how can we actually build this at a large scale? So that's when you build a manufacturing plan. So that's, that's mechanical engineering at a high level is that process. So if you like the building aspect and if you like working in reality, then 
mechanical engineering is a better fit. Oh my goodness. This has just been such an incredible conversation. And I'm sure the listener can tell if they've tuned into any other episodes of the job library. Typically, it is somewhat step A, B, C, D, similar questions. I do really like to have this kind of framework. So episodes and jobs are somewhat comparable and evenly represented. But with this, it's just so interesting how creative you've been and actually how much autonomy I feel you've exercised, uh, not just in your career decisions, but also in how you've shaped your career within just one job title and how your company has allowed you to do that. And also how you've used that creativity and autonomy to explore what does it mean to work and create outside of my paid hours and have side hustles and think about all these things and this broader conversation that's so much more than exploring one job title, be it mechanical engineering or just research and development. You're really helping people understand if you're interested in STEM, where do you go? How do you think about your decisions that will lead you where you want to end up or to a satisfying place, hopefully. So I so appreciate your perspective on this and how we've been able to have more of a free-flowing conversation and how you've indulged so many of my curiosities. I'm curious, just one more thing, if you have any final encouragement to the person listening, whether you imagine them to be someone who is in high school or college and still has flexibility within their current academic plan. Mm -hmm. Or if they're an engineer who maybe they studied mechanical like you and are thinking, I think there's more fine tuning to do Mm -hmm. to make sure my next step is a more satisfying one. Or even that third example of someone, this isn't even theoretical, you know someone who was in, he was an English major for goodness sakes, and then he came into engineering. What is imparting wisdom that you would like Mm -hmm. to give? Yeah, so those are great questions. I think with STEM, it's unique in that you kind of have to get started early. It's really Mm -hmm. the exception to the rule to make these kind of pivot into a more technical position later in life. That's all. Mm. That very rarely happens. I would say the two biggest questions that I wish I had asked myself in high school or college, and I was still figuring myself out, so I don't know that I really knew the answers to these questions. One is, like, what is my personality? What am I really suited for? What kind of environments do I thrive in versus am I just satisfied in? For example, if you want to work in, uh, like, research, engineering, this field, you really got to be good at being analytical. I actually um, looked at the strengths finder. I haven't taken Mm -hmm. strengths finder, but I I know the list. And so the strengths that really are effective for someone who wants to work in this field, analytical, ideation, intellection, learner, communication, consistency, focus. Those, if those strengths stand out to you and that like really vibes with your personality, Mm -hmm. this is a good fit. And this is something that you should really consider. On the flip side, some of the challenges that you face in this field, you really spend a lot of time wrestling with hard problems. And that involves a lot of thinking, a lot of working alone, just trying to face a big challenge. Sometimes you're stuck inside an office or a lab all day and you don't see the outside world. 
sometimes there's a lot of routine, especially in engineering, where it's kind of routine oriented, unless you're working at a startup or something more research oriented. So some of those some of those sides, I would say that if you're not sure what you want to do, err on the side of doing something that's general so that you could pivot later. So that's why I'm glad I did mechanical engineering instead of civil engineering, for example, or aerospace engineering. I'd be locked into an industry, uh, petroleum engineering. You're locked into the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to pivot out of that. But if you're a mechanical engineer, you can work in almost any, any industry. So that's the plus side. The downside is it is difficult to convince a company if you're trying to pivot. Sometimes it can be difficult saying like, oh, I'm a level two engineer now, but I don't know anything about oil and gas. Well, that can, you know, they may not want to hire you if you don't have any experience, but you kind of need to get paid at a certain level, for example, or you want to get paid at a certain level. So it can be hard to pivot because this, the world we live in is very, very specialized. And so that's kind of that first job out of college really does matter a good bit. It's not the end all be all. It doesn't lock you in. Obviously anyone can make a career change, but the upside is that once you get into the management level, then it's actually easier to pivot because once your primary job is big picture, looking at how all these systems work together, how do I manage people and get them to do their best work, then you can kind of apply that to any industry. And so you can you can switch industries sometimes more easily because you just have to learn the basics mm-hmm. of the industry, but the actual work you're doing is you've already done that kind of work. So pivoting is something that's difficult and complicated. And and I'm not pretending to have all the answers, but I'm really glad that I was given an opportunity to kind of make one pivot between undergrad and grad school, and then another pivot as I have refined my current job to Mm -hmm. uh, look less like mechanical engineering and more like the, the research, communication, bridging science and engineering stuff that I really enjoy. And it seems like it certainly helped to your point earlier to be at a the smaller to mid-sized firm that has that kind of culture that they're open to letting people present how they're going to flourish at the company and then accommodate it as best as possible. Also to something you said there that, yes, okay, here's the reality, y'all. Pivoting can be difficult Mm -hmm. in the STEM fields, especially. It honestly can be more simple in business where I think people would like to glorify how specialized it is, but a business analyst is a business analyst and you could, you can go different places from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in STEM, yeah, it seems like the honest fact is it is more difficult, but you were saying if you're to your example, a level two engineer and you need to get paid a certain level, you corrected yourself. If you want to get paid at a certain mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. then you're probably not going to make it's going to be difficult to make a clean jump to an equivalent job in a different specialty or area. But to the example of your friend who was an English major and started to pursue a career in technical writing, there are certainly worthy sacrifices to be made to make a really good aligned uh, career pivot that's aligned with where you really have found out where you want to be. And it's my hope that anyone listening to this who finds themselves desiring some kind of pivot, that you wouldn't beat yourself up or go into sunk costs 
fallacy. Mm -hmm. You can still use and appreciate what your past experience academic or professional has been, even if it relates, doesn't relate at all to your future job title, you can still appreciate that. It's okay. It's perfectly fine to change your career expectations, potentially even go into something that has a, a lower salary for a time or have a lean season. If you want to start a business mm -hmm. like I have, I've had a lean season and a half, but I don't regret it at all. And I'm sure so many other people who have made sacrifices for career pivots, they haven't either most of the time, um, if it's been a really thoughtful, meaningful decision. So I've been so grateful for how much you've covered in this episode, speaking to the high school student, the undergrad student, um, someone who can be interested in a lot of different things, someone who uh, prizes consistency and focus. I feel like anyone should listen to this. So Joel, thank you. Gosh, you amaze me. <laughs> thank you, appreciate that. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the Job Library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.